and welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics. This week we are going to be talking about resolving miscommunication that laity and clergy can sometimes have. And to do some of that, we have a guest with us today. Our guest is Father Christopher Brashears, who is a canon lawyer and parish priest for the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. Um, welcome, Father. Thank you. <laughs> so fun to have you with us. It's good to be here. Father, is there anything that you'd like to tell us about yourself before we get started? Well, um, I mean, uh, can lawyer thing is very important. The ex, you know, an expert in the law of the church. I uh, did extra studies. I'm a judge in the tribunal, and I really find that the my first day of canon law class really set the scene for how I approach the law of the church. Not as a bunch of rules, but our professor was very eccentric. Got up there and said, "You all have to study well, study hard." Because you will have to protect the rights for the people of God that do not know they have any. And so it really kind of set the whole motion of three years of how I was going to study and to make sure that the people who don't know they have rights then have them protected. And for those that may not know what the tribunal is, can you elaborate on what you do there too? Just so. Sure. The tribunal just is kind of like a court of uh, civil authority except that we um, deal with infractions of this of canon law. So we also deal with questions if people have uh, doubts about the validity of their marriage and they want to ask for an investigation of nullity, then we uh, look to see whether the evidence is there and present that it was null from the beginning. Of course, if there's other types of cases that we have to hear, um, other infractions against the law, then we do so judiciously. We appreciate you coming and talking with us today. So I know we're, there's going to be several things that we kind of talk about t- today. Um, but I know one of the things that kind of when we were talking about this topic as a group, um, one of the things that kind of sparked that was the sacraments. And um, so a lot of times in several of like the mom's groups I'm in and even some personal experiences um, a lot of times there's like stipulations to get to sacraments. And at what point are these like tra- problematic? Does that make sense? Like, uh, <laughs> Very much. Well, because like the sacraments are our way to get to God and, and closer to him and, you know, and be more, live our Christian life more fully. So having all these obstacles and hoops, it feels like sometimes we have to jump through to get to them like I can understand some of the things to a point because you want to make sure that people are really rooted in their faith. But at the same time, like what, like I said, when does this become a problem? Oh, everybody knows when it becomes a problem. <laughs> oh, that's, that's no biggie. It's when everybody starts like, getting upset, starting to get mm-hmm. irritable, and even if there's tears and waterworks. Um, and it oftentimes comes at terrible moments. You know, one of the things that I don't think we do well enough in the church is to have education. So, you know, for instance, when somebody has a brand new baby and they are so excited and joyful, hopefully, you know, that uh, there's no complications, there's no other issues or problems, and that they're faithful Catholics and that they're not just being pressured by their parents to have the baptism or something like that. But even in those cases, likewise, you'll still have people coming to the church and saying, all right, I'm ready to have the baptism. I'm really excited. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you need to go through baptismal prep. I'm sorry, I said I have a baby to be baptized and to be adopted son or daughter of the Most High. Yeah, you need to go through baptismal classes. When when did anyone say anything about this? And that's one of the problems, uh, that oftentimes it really comes kind of at a shocking moment that there's things to do. Now, the Code of Canon Law says that they must be prepared. The pastor must ensure that the parents and sponsors, if there are to be any, are prepared for the sacrament. Now, what does that mean? Mm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of distance between there. So for some, it's, you know, one hour course. For others, they sit there and say, I'd like you to do more. 
sometimes if you can't make the the class that they're having, a lot of churches are now going to doing online stuff like form.org has a whole beautiful baptism class coursework on it. And I've certainly, for my opinion, I think that's excellent. If you do that, if you do all six hours of that, you're good enough. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you've also got the questions of, okay, now, are you registered in the parish? Uh, some We've had some phone calls where people say, well, I'm not with your parish, but I like your parish. <laughs> <laughs> or they have even been honest sometimes and said, you know what, Father, I've called another parish and they won't baptize my baby. And I'm like, okay, now we need to talk. Mm-hmm. Because why, why is that? And there can be some, I'll say there's one valid reason for why a priest wouldn't baptize a child, at least by the code, by the law. And that is if they had no hope, no hope, not some hope, no hope of that child ever knowing their Christian dignity. How is this possible? When are the conditions of it? Very few and far between. It's not likely that you're going to have such a situation. In fact, what's most likely going to happen is that they have some recognition that they were baptized, they're a child of God in some sort or sense. The chance that it's not is if you're going to send your baby off in a spaceship to a planet far, far away, and that they are going to somehow get superpowers from their son, and they're going to have a wonderful life and um, lots of adventures. In that case, maybe, but even then, you know, Kal-El, if you will, <laughs> Superman, had, the, uh, had his, his crystals from his father that told him all the things he needed to know. So even in that case, it really doesn't apply. So when we start looking into this, it's not something that priests need to be overly zealous about. Uh, In fact, if you find a canonist, they are most likely to baptize your child faster than anyone else uh, because it is the gateway to all the sacraments. Now, here comes the dark part of this. The part that, you know, is going to be the, oh, Father's on our side. He agrees with us. Oh, yay, good. This is a good priest. And now you're going to get to the part where you say, oh, maybe not too quick. Father Brashears is a stickler. The sponsors is a whole nother story. The sponsors have to be models of faith. Not only do they have to be models of faith, they have all of the restrictions placed upon them. So please don't get angry at your priests when they have really strong and strict regulations on the sponsors. They have to be 16 years old. They have to have received confirmation. And if they sit there and ask for proof of that, then they need proof of that, not an argument saying, well, I don't see why this is so important. Can't you just trust us? No, they've asked for it. They've been burned before. So I have a question there because I have a godchild that has two godmothers because, and I'm the Catholic one. So it happened like, what do you like, you know, when that's the case, does do both God, I mean, I know it's preferred obviously, but is what is the rules? Does that make sure? (laughs) And I, and I get it. This, you know, to somebody who hasn't had to deal with this, this seems like it is just a whirlwind of things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes your priests understand this. Sometimes they don't understand what it's like for you all to come in and to have all of these questions and have no idea what's going on. It just sounds like it's all made up on the spot. It sounds like they're just pulling it in and then another thing and another thing. Well, when it comes down to the sponsors, if you're going to have two, then it has to be a male and a female. They don't have to be married. They don't have to be um to if they are married if they are married it has to be in the church matrimonially because otherwise they're not models of the faith but both those individuals have to be models of the faith now what can happen and since you said you were the catholic party (laughs) very cleverly very nicely the canonist finds this as a delicious little detail (laughs) because he already knows then that uh, the other party was not catholic Mm -hmm. and because of that that person is not really a godparent they are, a, they are a Christian witness. So you can have a Christian witness um, alongside. And the rules for them are very vague. It was seen as kind of an ecumenical concession to say, we recognize that you have a good baptism and you're witnessing to baptism itself. So as long as they are validly baptized and one of the churches that is validly, and we accept their baptism mm-hmm. is valid, then they can be it. So again, if your pastor sits there and starts saying, Okay, Christian. Okay, but what kind of Christian? Yeah. 
we're talking about Mormons, the church doesn't accept their baptism because they have fundamental issues with the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. So they can't serve as a Christian witness. Well, but that's my brother, and I have wanted this for a hundred years. And I know, and I'm really sorry, and that feels sensitive. Now, one area that I try to work with couples on, and especially when they come in with very fixed ideas, and it, and their sponsors don't fit what the church requires of us, uh, I try to sit there and say, you know, there's a lot of other things we can do here. And then I asked the question, Don Dami years ago, are you all thinking that if both of you die in a car wreck, that these are the ones that are going to yeah. take your kids? Yes. And no, the answer is yes. A lot yeah. of people think that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's not. How do you pick godparents? <laughs> I pick them because if we both die in a car wreck, <laughs> which of course the, yeah. the statistics are incredibly infinitesimal on that. <laughs> but, uh, but again, we sit there and say, all right, this is what we're thinking of. So of course I want my brother to do this, or I want my sister to do this. Of course I want them to be with my uncle and aunt regardless of their Catholic state or if they've been to church in the last 25 years. And so, you know, they, they feel this very personally and deeply because they've come to a decision about the future of their children based on that horrible circumstance. I have some really bad news, everybody. The civil authorities do not at all ever ask the church in those situations who the child goes to. In fact, they have no care in the world who the godparents are, yeah. unless, and this I would encourage you all to do, is to put that in, in your, your will. will. Mm -hmm. Because that is the only statement that the court will care about. Mm -hmm. A real, documented, civilly endorsed document that says, yes, this is our will. I know that, you know, we've talked a lot about baptism so far, but let's go on to the, like the next, you know, sacrament of initiation in there. Um, and go into like the first reconciliation, first communion. I know that some of our listeners and some like and friends of mine as well have uh, expressed um, some frustrations with um, different requirements that have been either either ones that are like are told from the beginning or they get added on. And they're like, okay, so mm -hmm. what, um, why does my kid have to memorize all these different things um, <laughs> and go to a retreat that, you know, like they're just, you know, for three days, I think we had a list yeah. of somebody who, three, they, they were required a three day for, overnight for retreat. Second grader. And, um, yeah. and mm -mm. you know, compared to, like, you know. I going sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> compared to, you know, like, if you were to come in through RCIA and you, you know, you do the classes and then bada bing, bada boom, you get them all done, you know. That's so right. It feels like a little bit. <laughs> oh, and, and I would agree that there, there's almost this kind of incentive for some parents to sit there and say, you know what, kids, we're going to wait. You've got your baptism. We're just going to wait until, oops, we didn't get you your sacraments in the regular order. Now you're in this uh, RCIC or Whatever now it's, new it's OC, OCIC, yeah. Order of Christian Initiation for Children. Yeah. It's going to take me about 10 years to get that right. <laughs> and then they'll change it again. And then they'll change <laughs> it because the church. So, yeah, as we look into this, I, I'm going to admit very openly there are some times that extra things get put on the plate that shouldn't be there. So while I kind of outlined with baptism where, you know, all right, there are some really some very rigid things that do have to be in place, especially for the sponsors. But I'll admit, there are priests out there who sit there and sometimes it's not even as, as much as the priest as it is that it, we have a director of religious education, director of sacramental prep that wants to do more. And you sit there and say, well, shouldn't we give more? Yes. But are we going to make it an obstacle to them coming into it and say, you know, I, if you really want to make a, a canonist shudder, you sit there and tell them about obstacles to, to the sacraments because they sit there and they say, oh, our Lord Jesus Christ is going to punish you so bad. <laughs> because it's, it is not, that's not what is intended here. That's, you know, the, the church wants to make it as easy as possible to approach the sacraments and only limits whenever it's absolutely necessary. So again, the kids have to be prepared. So for both the sacrament of uh, first confession and first communion, and 
there has to be some kind of preparation. Now there's oftentimes programs and guidelines and everybody's out there telling you they've got the magic bullet. And if only they do, you know, for instance, a three day, and I don't even know the church. So here I am just picking on in general, but if there's this three day, you know, uh, retreat out there and, you know, oh, well, this will certainly set your kid on the right path and they'll never leave the church if they just go to this three day retreat. Well, guess what? Life happens. And uh, we can't predict everything. And we still trust in the Holy Spirit to do the work and not all on us. Mm-hmm. And the, the sacraments themselves are fonts of grace, each one of them. And so better for them to receive those fonts of grace. So what would I say are the minimums to deal with with that, with First Communion? They have to be able to recognize what is the Eucharist apart from regular food. That's the bare minimum. Do they have to know all these other prayers? Eh, be really good. And what's unfortunately happening nowadays is that there are a lot of parents who are taking their kids just for sacramental prep. They don't have them consistently Mm -hmm. in RE classes. And so now it becomes almost like a graduation level. A rite of passage. A rite of passage. The the kind of the the goalpost line. And we're saying, all right, well, you know, you haven't been bringing your kids and – the church has a tension there because the parents are the first teachers of the faith and they are not to be interrupted in their in their presentation of the faith. And so it's only supposed to be supported by the church. So, but then you sit there and say, well, okay, let's have the Iowa test of basic skills for your prayer life. Do you know the Our Father? Well, how come you don't know the Our Father? And, you know, that may be a reflection back on the parents and maybe they're bad parents. Okay but they still want their kid to have the sacraments. Mm-hmm. So are you punishing the kid for the bad behavior of the parents? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. And then those priests will all say, but what else are we supposed to do? Because if this kid keeps going on this path, they're going to receive first communion and then their second communion at their wedding and their third communion at the viaticum. And they're going to die and receive the communion only three times in their life. Okay. Part of that is a, a sadness of the state of affairs. But they'll have received <laughs> three times. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and, and, you know, so if, there's those both sides of it. Yeah. And if we talk to the saints and we talk to the martyrs and, and they would uh, encourage the at least the communion. Um, and so, and confession as well, mm-hmm. you know, but they want to make sure that it is fruitful for them. Right. When you do that too, though, you also base the parents' work for what the Holy Spirit's going to do for the rest, child's mm-hmm. rest of their life. Like, so it's kind of like, okay, maybe that's the case where they're with their parent, but what happens when they go off to college right. and then, okay. And then they do get married They're, You know, maybe they go away or maybe they come closer. That's all. That's up. That's the Holy Spirit's work at that point. So you, you have to kind of, but sure. I mean, you, you live your life and you be an example, but you have to let, so it is a tension. Yeah. You know, how much the, the pastor has a responsibility to ensure that the kids are prepared. What is that level of preparation? Ambivalent. Mm-hmm. We're not quite sure. There's nothing put out by the Vatican that says they have to know the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be. No. And the diocese puts out some hopeful, these kind of benchmarks of where your, your kids should be to understand something. And we should always want every kid to have more. And so if we're sitting there saying, you know, uh, but, but to hold the, hold the sacraments hostage uh, from a child is, is so very hard to do. Now, I'll say all of that, and then I'm just going to flip and exactly play the devil's advocate on this. Because I had an example of this up in the parish that I was at um, in Gaiman. And it was in the preparation for a quinceañera. And the girl had come in and she said, I want my quinceanera. I said, well, okay, well, but you're not confirmed and you haven't been in classes. And so, okay, well, I'll work with you. You know, we'll, we'll try to work something out. It's not a sacrament, obviously, so it doesn't have to, there's no kind of expectation of it, but I'm, I'm happy to work with you. But on this, I'm going to need you to go through this catechetical program on form.org. I want you to go through it. And if you have questions, write them down. And in fact, just for every episode, just write down two or three sentences of summary of what you did with that. And then we'll talk about it. And um, then as long as you understand basics things, we'll go ahead and have the kids here. Well, comes the day she didn't do her homework. 
dog ate it, whatever. She <laughs> wanted to make a lot of excuses. And I said, oh, if I hadn't made some of those myself, and if I hadn't shortly been a teacher, I would have no sense of this. But this is just complete wash. <laughs> and so, you know, I said, fine, let's put all that aside. I said, who is Jesus? Because again, I'm worried about her soul. She is 15 years old. This may be the last time we see her. And I sit there. This may be the last conversation she has with a priest, with anybody. And I just say, who is Jesus? She couldn't answer. Well, she kind of fumbled around. She said, that guy who taught us about tolerance and just getting along and how the most important thing is just to, to do everything to get along. And I said, well, mostly you're thinking of Gandhi. But also, <laughs> Jesus Christ said that I've come to set fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already ablaze. And if you do not hate your father and mother, brother and sister, you cannot be my disciple. So I said, how does that square with what you said? She didn't know. Now, I'm not asking everybody to know the answer to that off the top of their head, especially a 15-year-old girl. But I did it to challenge her and to say, I don't think you really know who Jesus is. And then I said very, something very stark to her. I said, I think you're going to hell. I think that when you get to heaven, you will stand before Jesus, but you will also stand before a hundred other men that look like Jesus. And you have to follow the right one because Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they will follow me. You have to know his voice to go to heaven. And I said, and if you don't, I think you will follow the wrong way to hell. So I said, I'm very worried about you. And her mom was sitting right there, and her mom was nodding the whole the whole time. And when she when they her she went out of the car, and her mom stayed back to talk to me. She said, "Father, I think it's too late." I said, "It is not too late, not for Jesus, not for anyone. It is His love can overcome." But this is the fear of the priests that somebody comes in and really doesn't know anything. Well, to this end, this girl almost doesn't know her Christian dignity because she couldn't even explain what baptism was. She couldn't explain what it meant to be a child of God. She couldn't explain, I mean, just the most basic things of faith. And so the priests have to juggle these. And so when they over-exaggerate sometimes, when they over-correct, I hate to say it, it comes from a good place, mm -hmm. even when it's wrong. So, and I know this causes problems, and I know this causes pain. And so this is the kind of the, the in between here is is how do we reconcile these things oh i just wanted to say um that explanation that you just gave cleared so many things in my heart that i was frustrated about hearing you say from your heart and from your missionary heart which is so obvious in everything that you speak that this comes from a place of fear for someone's soul and that when we overcorrect it's out of love, even if it's wrong. And I think that that is the starting point for that tension that you're mentioning, that, that necessary tension between, you know, parents and priests and formators and that kind of thing, that maybe the goal, maybe it should, we should just be okay with the tension and realize that we, we need to just see where the others are coming from and try to meet each other in the middle um, and I think that's where the frustration comes from parents because it feels like um, it feels like it's not so much that we don't want them to know their prayers and stuff like all of that is incredibly important to us as Catholic parents too, where we get frustrated to these things on top that like Annie mentioned, like these giant retreats or these giant amounts of service hours for now 11 and 12 year olds. I heard of one parish that was requiring 30 service hours for 11-year-olds being confirmed. Now, I have not heard of anything like that in Oklahoma City. I don't think we do that oh, here. Oh, phew, good. Then, then, let's, then let's dish. All right, let's, let's go ahead and trash on them. As long as it's not okay. City. But I was just like so... I, I think that's where that fear, that frustration with parents comes in. Because we're just like, oh my gosh, you guys, we have... We are homeschooling our kids anyway, or we've got them in mm -hmm. school, they're in practices. We are doing our work as parents, and we can barely do that because we have to check all these boxes. 
Mm. But I think what you said was so beautiful, like just open a dialogue, Mm -hmm. you know, open a dialogue more between these sacramental formators and these priests and be like, look, this is how we feel. Is there some way we can come across the aisle and work together? Mm. Just hearing you say it like that, like, I know maybe it was wrong, but you have to understand it's love. And that story you told, oh my gosh, that's chilling. Like, that was just... Thank you for sharing that. That was just really beautiful. That healed actually a lot of heart hurt in me. Just that story. Hey, glory like, be to God. You. Glory be to God. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times transparency, because like you said, because like, the priests do these things, and but they, I don't know if it's like just because of time or whatever, and they just kind of like make this blanket statement. And nobody knows why. And then everybody gets angry and starts forming their own reasons why, or they're just upset. And if I think sometimes that there's just some, like what you just said, like, I know this is really hard. You know, like parents who have had multiple kids already been baptized and still have to go through baptismal prep. Like, I, uh, this is number four. I'm pretty sure I got this down by now, but okay. That's, that's <laughs> my know? favorite example. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because that's what I, you know, when I, I heard that, you know, somebody said, you know, first of all, I, I, you know, heard about this one year and then it expires. And I said, what, the, this information in their brain expires? <laughs> I said, I know of nothing. I mean, mine mine actually has a much shorter shelf life. But I was like, you know, I don't imagine that they just completely jettisoned everything about the most important day of their child's life except for their birth and really arguably theologically more important. Mm. And so, you know, I sat there and I was kind of like, I don't well, think it's usually that's somewhat how we treat closely. I'm not always, but there's somewhat closely spaced <laughs> too. Like, I just took this class last year, father. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Or even like even the godparents though. Like they just like they just had their kid baptized like just a couple of months ago. Now they're gonna be my kids. But like they have to take the classes again. I so and <sighs> so like you said like I I know that's from love. But I think sometimes this holding on to I think. I have my biology teacher at one point, you know, growing up, and he was Catholic, said, um, there's exceptions to every rule. Maybe not every rule, but, but that's but that's always, ever, yeah. But, like, so, you know, parents of multiple kids who've already gone through some of the, the, these things, maybe they don't have to rebuy the book they already own at home. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that is a very good place to start. <laughs> you know, or, I have the book. Yeah. No, no, buy another one. <laughs> Uh, are you making money off of this? <laughs> They're not. Because, so, yeah. Really. But just like those type, just having that clear, transparent dialogue, like, I understand why you have this, I, but this is where I'm having a problem with it. Uh, or why are why are, why the sudden change, you know? Sudden. And, and that's, yeah, that's what it feels like is it's, yeah. Yeah. And something that, you know, a, part of that transparency is that, while they've been coming to a decision for some time and almost every decision is because of a person. So it's, it's probably because of one of the parishioners that we have a new rule. <laughs> we don't like to say that just like you as parents don't like to say it about your children. Okay. New rule. And we're calling it the, you know, the little Christopher rule. You know, that's, that's not the, uh, you know, we don't, we don't want to do that any more than you all as parents want to scar the children. We don't want to scar the parishioners either. I have a friend who wants to know, because <laughs> she's asked so many priests this. We mm. talked a little bit about this before we started recording. But why is it that a convert can uh, go through RCIA at age eight or older, get all the sacraments done, whereas a cradle Catholic has to go through all the different things at different levels and different times? And has, you know, often has different like hoops to jump through, it feels like. So, you know, this this friend of mine, she is a convert. Her kids are now cradle Catholics. And she's she she's, has a lot of frustrations over that. Lots she has gotten the only response that she's gotten is, well, they need you know, converts need need more graces. So <laughs> can you speak on that? No. So as far as converts needing more graces, well, it seems like you're 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 dragging out the uh, the education and the length of time of preparation for the others. And so it seems like cradle Catholics need more. But in reality, we all need more. Um, 
the RCIA or OCIA program is meant as a preparation, but there's been lots of discussions that one year isn't even sufficient for it. Um, because you get to the end of it and you say, it feels like we barely scratched the surface. Now, normally what happens with those converts is they are so zealous themselves, <laughs> finally coming to the faith, they go ahead and they overindulge anyway, so we don't have to worry about that. But the problem is, is that it's not good in sound reasoning to say that the converts need more grace. Uh, we all need more grace. Every single one of us needs more grace. But the I think part of that is, is thinking that what is the best situation is that they have a continuance and a culture of learning about the faith. That's why for the Catholics, there is this RE program as it has been set up, mm -hmm. is that they start in preschool and kindergarten and first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, on up. And the whole thing is we want them to have a culture of continuing to learn about Jesus, learning about the love of God, learning how to accept his grace to become the saints we're called to be. And we know that the more that we have of that is the better. That's why Catholic school systems are pushed so heavily and so that we can have that day after day for the kids, that we can have and in home, many homeschooling programs. There is this component so that it is day after day. So in a sense, I would say, honestly, it's more important that everyone have more and not less. But then you sit there and say, well, it's easier. Yeah, it is. And in the end, it is easier. Would I encourage you to wait? No. What I encourage you is to have the best. Um, encourage you to have your kids going through those things. And if there are some doubts as to the efficacy, how enriching the programs really are, because I have to say, I'm not really sure the one I went through when I was in grade <laughs> school was really great. They have some great ones nowadays but maybe your church isn't using those, or maybe you have doubts about it. Maybe you read this and you say, um, all you said was Jesus loves you. They learned that last year and they learned that the year before. When are they gonna learn about the sins and how to avoid them? When are they gonna learn more about virtue? Um, one of the things that uh, I really, I'll throw you this out because uh, this is a little bit related. I angered so many parents and way more seventh and eighth graders this year. When I came to the parish and I said, you know what? You were told that sixth grade confirmation and you're done with art. Oh no, you're not done. Mm -hmm. Father Bashir's is saying for the seventh and eighth graders, you're gonna do theology of the body. Oh, that's awesome. Because they need theology yes. of the body in seventh and eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And next year the seventh and eighth graders are gonna do apologetics because they also need to be able to answer for their faith. Mm -hmm. So in some of these things, you may challenge your priests a little bit to think for things that are more relevant. And I don't mean that the Bible's not relevant. I don't mean that Jesus is not relevant and that he loves him is not relevant. I mean that there may be some of these things which are more impactful for the age group that they are and more potent. And it's just because nobody's asked, why don't we change up our what we're doing? Why don't we change the way that we're doing these things to the point that it's not an obligation, a pressure, mm -hmm. a pain. But why isn't this that it's uplifting my kids? How come we don't have a Maria Goretti? Not that I'm asking for martyrs. <laughs> martyred children, the worst. But I reference the martyred children because they had faith they would die for. Um, San Jose Luis de, del Rio, uh, Sanchez del Rio, he sat there and at this young, young age, with cut feet, he walked to his grave and then at the very end, as he's looking death in the face, he said, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ. So, you know, you're sitting there and you say, I don't think I had that faith when I was <laughs> that age. Where does that come from? How come we don't prepare kids to be the saints already? You know, what is it that we need to be doing? And what kind of things outside of the box, different things that we need to be doing, how do we enculturate them better so that it's not an oppressive thing? It's not, and that we're not looking for the easier thing, we're looking for the greater thing. So is it easier? You're right, absolutely. It's easier to have a one-year thing, but 
I, again, back to that kind of heart of the priest loving his children, wants them to have something better, wants them to really become the saints that they're called to be. Um, with the, like, our OCIA, OCIC, um, when you're coming into the church as a convert, I know that you receive, like, you know, all the sacraments, you know, well, not all, because, you know, obviously not, you know, holy orders. <laughs> <laughs> all of the initiations. All the initiations, sacraments yes. to initiation. And um, including, you know, confirmation at the, the younger kids as well. I know that, you know, in our diocese, we've, we've lowered the age um, a bit. And other ones, it's, did that, that was, is it called restored order, where you have confirmation before. And um, yep. I know it's, it's different from diocese. It's some, some, the, my friend who I was speaking to, her, her diocese, it's still, it's like, I guess it's older, like. 15, that, 16. Yeah, yeah. I think she, that um, it's actually uh, seniors or juniors and seniors. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, so it's that Catholic well, graduation. We're split here uh, in Oklahoma. Tulsa's still older kids. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I just, our, our diocese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say state. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and so um, why is it? That with convert, you know, when you come into the church as a convert, do you receive all of, like, why is it that it's all at once? I mean, I know we talked about, like, why to go ahead, like, you know, like not doing that, you know, when you're cradle, like going through it. But mm. why is it that they are all at once as opposed to spread out? out? Especially if we think that it's better to right. take longer to prepare. So before there was the RCIA or or the OCIA, as it's now called, um, there was just the code says that it's the pastor's responsibility to make sure that they are prepared to receive the sacraments of initiation. So sometimes you find some older people who are converts who said, oh, yes, I went to the priest, I took instruction. And that means they met with the priest until the priest was satisfied. And we had that at the parish I grew up in. Yeah. That's just not not that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> RCIA was a thing and then he just disregarded it. <laughs> and, and that is the pastor's prerogative. Mm -hmm. He can absolutely just toss out the RCIA program and say, I'm still doing instruction. Mm -hmm. And I will meet with each one of them and I will prepare them. I will ensure that they are ready. Okay. And they can come and assist at the, most often, the Easter Vigil mm -hmm. to receive initiation when they are ready and not a moment before. There's a beauty in that, in the fact that it is personal, mm -hmm. it is engaged, it is to their pastor, and it, that they have that recognition that you're not ready yet. Spiritually, you're not in this place yet. Instead of, oh, well, you did one year, so obviously you're yeah. going to get to go in at Easter. You know, and again, we sometimes do really treat this thing very goal and object oriented. We're very American and we're very pragmatic and we're like, yes, just get it done. Get it. Check the list. Yes, get it, you know, just get it done. And the most efficient way possible. That's the, well, that's our mindset. Instead of the best way possible. And the best way possible is not always the most efficient. And that's very kind of almost heresy to American idealism. But there's a real beauty in that. So... Should we then instead go back to instruction? Challenges with that. Yeah. You know, in the parish that I'm at right now, we have, oh, let's see. I think we have, I think even though we've had some come in midstream and so they're going to continue to finish out this year and then they'll come back next year. I think we have something like 20. Yeah. Some people. And so. That's wonderful. And there's some benefit towards them being together and there's some benefit towards them, you know, kind of building off of each other and the sponsors have to come to the class mm -hmm. with them. And so there's also mm -hmm. benefit there and there's community building. <sighs> What's the right answer? I don't know. Okay. Um, but why do they receive, is, canonically, why do they receive the sacraments of initiation all at once? Because they have to. Okay. Because they're being initiated. Okay. And um, only Charles Crater Catholics, we think, no, of course you separate them out. Well, the baptism can be received mm -hmm. with the, uh, you know, with the uh, intention of the parents. So they answer for the child. Um, and so infant baptism is a thing. So we want the child to have grace as soon as possible and to not worry about their, their mortal soul. We want them to already be adopted children of the Most High. From the very beginning, in fact, even eight days after birth, or sometimes, even as it happens, there have been baptisms within the womb. So, 
we're sitting there, we're saying, um, we want those children to have that gift. Okay, but they can't receive First Communion until they recognize what it is. Okay, but we disagree with uh, the Orthodox on that. Because the Orthodox, they give them communion right away. Um, So that's a disagreement between the East and the West. And whenever we start our reconciliation talks, that will have to be decided. Until then, we're going to operate as they still have to distinguish. So then uh, we have confirmation. And yes, restored order. And then you have all those questions of when should it happen. And the question is difficult because they do have to at least have the age of reason as far as in the the Roman church. And so they have to be able to have some distinguishing faculty to rationale, this is important in this way. So it's split up for us, but not true of every group of Christians out there. And again, the Orthodox is an example of initiation happens altogether. Thank you. Thank you for that very thought out and um, more... um like direct answer well, about those rather than just, you know, they need more grace. <laughs> yeah. And again, maybe the priest was like, I don't know. <laughs> it sometimes doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah. You know, and, and that happens too. Like I said, you know, sometimes you're like, you go to the priest and you yell at him and you say, I don't know why this is happening. And he says, I don't know either. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, Sometimes we also believe that the priest is fully prepared for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a canonist. I get phone calls from priests all the time. I'm happy to get them, but I get them all the time. What do we do in this situation? Is this okay to do? Is this not okay to do? Or is this wrong? Is it? So we sometimes think that you know our priests come out there just like our parents do. And uh, they come out there and they're like, this is what we do because this is what's right. And you're like, my parents are really sure of things and they know everything. And the parents are like, oh my goodness, did we pull it off? Did they believe us? Because <laughs> I was so unsure about that just now. <laughs> yeah, same things. You know, just to give that reflection. Same thing. Uh, we, we sometimes bluff. So, you know, we, we sometimes don't have all the answers. But, you know, it does. And I think that sometimes we don't do a good job, a good enough job. And one of the things that we sometimes do is we say, oh, well, we put it in the bulletin. (laughs) But nowadays, the reading of the bulletin comes down to about maybe 15 to 20 percent of our prisoners are reading it. Mm -hmm. And the others take it to be, you know, kind and not, you know, the ushers and the greeters are very nice to hand it to them. And they're like, thank you. I'm just going to throw it in the back of the seat and Mm -hmm. it's going to stay there until I throw them away. It turns into fireplace. Start. There you go. At least it's going to something. My five-year-old always gets the bulletin and he won't give it to me. Coloring pages. Good. He says he's reading it. At least someone is reading it. Second, and then I've usually gone up a line. Yeah. Well, and so you know, part of this is you know the modes of communication. How are we reaching people where they are, Pope Francis? Mm -hmm. And you know, what are we trying to really come across with? And some of the times, I think priests get a little concerned that if they start down the path of explaining things, Mm -hmm. it opens it up for but Father, Mm -hmm. but what you didn't consider and say. This isn't a democracy. And, and, and that's, that is hard because we're so democratic. We are so much people who like the process of it. That, and we want to bring all these things up. And then there's some times that we can't say certain things. It's like a, a former you know, teacher. Uh, well, Mrs. Ryder, what if? What if? Well, I can't, I, we don't have time for all the what ifs. This is how we're going to do it. And if something happens later on down the road that makes us deviate from this, then we'll address it then. So, yeah. Well, one of the things I would encourage, though, is to meet with your priests. Yeah. Um, you know, some priests are more accessible than others, I recognize. Um, but my door is always open to people to come in and have discussions about things. And I've been yelled at so much. <laughs> And most priests have. So also realize there's a little bit of shell shock there. Sometimes they're just like, okay, welcome in, Mrs. So-and-so. And I cannot wait to find out what you're going to yell about me about this today. Um, and so sometimes we do have that kind of worn downness because we are pastor over oftentimes hundreds of people. And, you know, you may say, well, I've never, you know, brought up a difficult thing to the priest ever. 
Sure, you may never have, but so-and-so has, and they just did it today or yesterday or the day before. Or we have this funeral plan here. We got this and that. We've got this breathing down our neck. So just like you all have pressures in your lives and your children come to you and you're trying just to be so patient with them, but your brain is just exploding and all these other things are going on. You sit there and you want to say, okay, honey, um, tell me what's bothering you. But one of the things I, I just recently had, I mean, just recently had was a guy came in and over Christmas, I had uh, gone in and said, you know, at the Christmas mass, like most places do that, well, um, people for the communion, uh, we just ask that if you're a Catholic who is well disposed to receive the sacrament, to present yourself in the normal way. If you're not um, to, if you're not in a state that's uh, well to receive the sacrament today, or you're not Catholic, we just ask you to remain in your seats and pray for the peace of the world. Okay. Well, I didn't know how that affected this person. They came in and said, you know, my grandchildren that were there and, you know, this made them feel very, you know, un, unwelcomed. And I said, you know, I did not envision that at all. I didn't see that. I didn't imagine that. And so I said, I'm really sorry. I said, that was one of those unintended consequences. And I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I said, I need to work on that. And he said, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not yelling at you, but you know, it is one of those things that you probably weren't aware of. It, you how that hit, how that registered home. And so again, sometimes the priests do that. And sometimes the priests need help to know how to reach people. Um, oftentimes, if they have someone with solutions, proposals for ideas of what to do better, it sometimes helps. And you know what? I guarantee you nine times out of 10, if you say, Father, I volunteer to take this project on. <laughs> You'll say, that is wonderful. That's why I don't bring these things to people. Because <laughs> I know that that means I'm volunteering. Sometimes, Sometimes I am, though. <laughs> but, you know, the feedback really does help the priests, um, even if they're not always really excited to hear it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not, not to think that if you bring this up, well, then Father's going to look at me different. I'm going to be so-and-so, and I'm going to be that, that, you know, mom that brings all these things up, or I'm the dad who brings all this stuff up. No. But in this, you know, it's difficult for all parties. And there's a lot of situations out there. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that we didn't plan for this. We're not quite sure how to do this. How do we adapt to this? Um, when you have a, a state where somebody is mentally deficient, okay, then you have to deal with them in a different capacity, in a different way. Or if uh, they sit there and they have learning disabilities, those two then have to be approached in a little different way. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciate being brought up here, you know, tonight is about homeschooling. You know, that's a hard thing for priests to kind of get their head around as they're like, okay, um, homeschooling. So you're doing your sacramental prep at home. And really, oftentimes you're doing better sacramental prep than they can even do in the church. Why? Because you can do it every day. You can do it consistently. You can do it rhythmically in the lives of your kids that it makes sense that all these things are, are working in that way. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's it is clarity is important. Well, and I know you and I have had discussion before, too, where I had, I had somebody who was having a difficult um, situation at their church that it just seemingly came out of nowhere that we're not doing this anymore. And when we brought it up to you in the discussion over dinner one night, you said you told us why that that was. And I'm like, that makes so much sense. But if they had just, instead of saying, we're not doing this anymore, had said, we're not we're not going to do this because we really shouldn't have been doing it in the first place because this is how the rules are set up and the rubrics are set up, then this is why we're not doing this now. I think that would have been received a lot easier by the person that I knew that was ha having that struggle than it just being blanket said in mass, Don't, we're not doing this anymore, yeah. and then being done with it. And one of the cases I think the church did well with this ad mm -hmm. was actually the new translation of the Roman Missal. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. when the new translation came out, there were no priests saying, yes, 
I have chosen to change the words. <laughs> no, he, he, everyone threw the church under the bus. Right. Mm -hmm. And we said, the church did this. It's not us. We don't want to say the word consubstantial, but hey, this is what the church told us to do. So, I mean, it was kind of an easier transition. And I think that sometimes priests don't know how to throw the church under the bus on these things. <laughs> to put them on the burning pile mm -hmm. and, and to burn them at the stake. It, it's okay. The church has been here for a long time and she does have rules. And part of that is, you know, coming to the canonists and, and the canonists are very happy. We like prevention. <laughs> we really don't like to clean up messes. Yeah. So if, if some of, if the priest sit there and you say, you know what, um, I want to kind of figure this out. I want to go with this information. I want to help the priest and, and maybe say, you know, I want to be a liaison to the parents. I want to be your communications person. You know, Father, let me look this over before you put this out. I want to help you. Um, because sometimes priests, they're not always equipped with the same abilities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have one who can come in and, oh, everybody loved Father so-and-so. He just, he was so wonderful and he, <laughs> he was just so great. And then the next priest comes in and says, yeah, Father so-and-so abused the liturgy horribly and all these things. <laughs> How dare you? He was wonderful. <laughs> right. Well, wonderful aside, he may have made some things that were awful. And now, as the priest coming in, I have to answer to God for what I do. Right. Mm -hmm. And Pope Francis made very clear in this last document on the liturgy, you must, you must, you must give the people exactly what the church gives them. Nothing more, nothing less. You do not have the right to change anything. So that's, I mean, he just could not scream that clear in the document mm -hmm. to make this clear to his priest. Give them what they ought to have. We will release the conclusion of this conversation in two weeks. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, May God bless you, and may Mary accompany you. Coffee and Catholics is a proud partner of the Smart Catholics Podcast Network. Find new shows to love, meet like-minded Catholics, and join the community at smartcatholics.com.